Hey, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Uh, we're in our tethered series. Um, and I'm going to pray as you guys find that. And then we'll jump into what God has for us. Father, thanks for this morning. Uh, you are a God of laughter. You create all good things. Uh, and so we, we're thankful for uh, a body of believers and brothers and sisters who are on their way, uh, uh, journeying towards you, uh, that we get to laugh together and that we get to learn together and uh, that we get to love um, on each other as we're together. Um, we're here as a community, Lord, and we want to hear from you. Our, our Bibles are open, um, our ears are tuned in, and we want to hear from you. And so um, through my best effort, uh, Father, I am uh, available to be used by you. And so would you allow your spirit to speak, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you do have a Bible, please make sure that you're in Mark chapter 3. If, if you're in the habit of not bringing a Bible with you, let me encourage you, if you have one, uh, bring it along. Um, because we open up God's Word and we dive in. And uh, a lot of times, uh, so, some are like, well, we're auditory learners. That, that's great. Um, we also... Uh, uh, we know that we learn a lot by when we write things down, and so you might have margins in your Bible that you can write in if you like to write in your Bible or if you underline some things. Um, but if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get one for you, um, but we dive deeply into it uh, here, and so we're in uh, Mark chapter 3. If you have a device, you can scroll over to it uh, as well. Uh, every one of us uh, who are sitting in this room right now, we have a mom and a dad. Right? The circumstances around our upbringing might not be what we like, it may be what we love, but regardless of that, every one of us have a, a biological a mother and a father. We have genetic parents. And whatever else our parents did for us or didn't do for us, one thing certain is that we share their DNA. Uh, you got some genes from your mama and you got some genes from your daddy that come along with that. And scientists say that we are 50% um, uh, of our parents' uh, DNA. How about that? And so you can thank your mama and daddy for something in your life, or you can blame them for something in your life, but we are products of our, our parents for better or uh, for worse. And so as human beings, we share their DNA. But there's something unique that takes place in the life of a believer as well, somebody who's come to Christ. When we trust Christ, although we share the DNA of our biological parents, um, when we're born into the family of God and we raise our hand and we say yes to Jesus, we take on a brand new spiritual DNA. N not just biological DNA, but a spiritual DNA. And it's the DNA of Christ. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20. He says, uh, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what Paul says is that if we're in Christ, Christ is in us. He lives and dwells inside of us. We share in his life. We share in his DNA. We have his spiritual DNA pumping through our veins. How cool is that to think about? Like he is in us. There's a brand new spiritual reality. But when we start following Jesus, we don't always know what we're supposed to do next. Like everything is, is kind of new for us. We know that God has done something amazing and different in our life, something fantastic, but we just don't know maybe what we're supposed to do next. Anybody ever come to Christ and been like, okay, now what? Like, what am I supposed to do now? It's almost like somebody drops you off at the bus station and you don't have a ticket, you don't know where you're going, and they just drop you off and say, hey, good luck. Hope you can find your way to where you're going. And like, wait, you just start looking around like, what am I supposed to do now? Is somebody going to pick me up? Is somebody going to take me where I'm supposed to go? We just kind of get dropped off. One of the best things that we can do when we come to Jesus is to attach ourselves to somebody that we know is growing in the faith. 
Somebody who is, is growing in, in, in Christ. And when we see them, we come alongside them and we have the courage to ask them, hey, would you disciple me? And what I mean by asking them to disciple you, it means, hey, can I come alongside of you and you just help me grow for a little while until I can get my feet up underneath of me for a while. And then you go with them on this path towards discipleship and growth. Some of us who are in here are the direct product, not necessarily of genetic parents, but we are the product of Christ in us. But we've learned what that looks like because there's been a great mentor who's come alongside of us and discipled us along the way. If you had a great mentor who's helped you along the way, would you just raise your hand? Like somebody who just came along and discipled you. Yeah. I mean, so many of you, like you are who you are because somebody stepped up and engaged in your life. One of the deepest regrets that I have is that I never asked a question of anybody to come alongside of me and disciple me when I first came to Christ. And the reality is, first of all, I didn't even know that I needed to ask that question or that I should ask that question. Secondly, I, I thought that I could just kind of figure it out as I go. Uh, like we just watched a, a, a video of a bunch of guys here. That's a group of guys like, I, fig- I think I can figure out life. I feel like we just kind of figure, we don't need instructions. We don't need manuals. We just say, we'll figure it out as we go. And when it comes to our spiritual life, we kind of assume that too. I'm just going to figure it out as I go. That's what I thought that I could do. But one of the saddest things that we see in our faith and within our churches is when a brand new follower of Christ comes into the family and one, maybe they have no desire to grow up into maturity or or maybe two, they have no direction on how to grow up into maturity. There's nobody coming alongside and saying, hey, let me help you grow. They're in the family. They've got brand new identity in Christ. They've got spiritual DNA, but they just don't know what am I supposed to do with this now? And when we get to Mark chapter 3, we're going to see Jesus bring in some new followers, and he's going to say, this is what you're supposed to do now. This is how you live as a disciple. You're going to see Jesus disciple his disciples, and he's going to set a pattern for us of what to know, like what it looks like to be a a disciple. Um, And what's unique about Mark chapter 3, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, is that when we look at you're going to see Jesus, he's going to start to draw a dividing line. Uh, and, and we don't like dividing lines. We like to have everything kind of meshed together and, and for everything to be blurred together so that there's not a clear distinction. And for better, for worse, sometimes it's good. And sometimes we, we're, we're, um, we're creating a bad product uh, in our lives around that. Um, but what we're going to see Jesus do is he's going to say, there's not going to be any blurred lines here. There's going to be a dividing line between those who are in the crowd and those who are going to be disciples of Jesus. And the question that he's going to pose of of the church then and even of us now is, do you share in the DNA of a disciple or do you share in the DNA of the crowd? Are you a disciple or are you just kind of hanging out in the crowd? That's the focus. What does it look like to be a disciple and what does a a disciple do? So let's jump in starting uh, chapter 3, verse 7. You with me? Okay. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from the east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready to, so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, and so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. 
But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Let me say from the outset here is that people follow Jesus for all kinds of different reasons. Some of them good reasons and some of them with bad, bad motives. When we finish up the, the talk last week, we, we saw Jesus, he's being confronted by the religious leaders. And, and he's almost being dared by those religious leaders to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And we watch Jesus, he gets angry, he gets mad, right? And he, said, and he calls the guy over to himself and he heals the man's hand. And as soon as he heals the man's hand, the leaders are infuriated. And the text says from that moment on, these leaders go out and they begin to plot with the Herodians. Those who weren't even Jews begin to plot with Herodians on how they could actually kill Jesus. There is a plan and a plot now to go out and to execute Jesus. This is what it was like for him and the disciples would be walking into. And so now here's Jesus. He's fresh off the interaction that he's had with these leaders. And now he's gone down by the lake um, or more specifically, he's going down to the Sea of Galilee in a place called uh, Capernaum, which, guys, it's a beautiful place. I had the privilege of, of going to Israel back in 2006 with uh, uh, some of our, our, my, my professors from Grace University, uh, wonderful people. And we've got a picture here of uh, the Sea of Galilee, um, and this is specifically uh, in Capernaum, down on the seashore. And in this place, um, Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes down and he begins to, to teach people and to do Jesus kind of stuff. Now, some have posed the question, was Jesus running away from the religious leaders? Like, did he somehow get, get scared and, uh, and, and out of fear of his life begin to, to go? And that couldn't be further from the truth because Jesus is who Jesus is. And we don't follow a pansy Jesus, okay? Jesus doesn't run away when there is trouble. He actually goes into trouble head on. And so he's not running away from the religious leaders in a synagogue. He's actually not allowing anybody to deter, to deter him from the mission that he's on. And so he goes down to the lake headlong into what God has called him to do. And he begins to teach this crowd uh, that's uh, around him. And so Jesus, he's out here on the lake and people from all over the place are now starting to show up. People from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, Tyre, and Sidon. We have a map here just so you can see the regions, uh, and we circled them there. And there are people from all different walks of life. Um, there are people from th different ethnicities that are beginning to gather, different faith backgrounds, all kinds of people. And some of them have traveled up to 120 miles now to see Jesus and to be around him. So you are here, right? This is, that's where Jesus is at. They're in the Capernaum area and the Sea of Galilee. And he's got people traveling all the way south from Idumea and as far north as uh, Sidon and then east of uh, the Jordan River. People from all over the place are now, are now gathering around. And here's what's happening. There are people who have been healed by Jesus, people's lives who have been changed, and there are people who have watched Jesus heal others, and word is beginning to get out. Now, it's hard for us not to think 21st century, right? We, we know Instagram, we know Facebook, we know tweets, like we know all that kind of stuff. But think about this. There's no internet, there's no phones, there's no Instagram, there's no way of mass communicating what's going on. And so the way that the, the, the word has traveled is significant. And what Mark is saying that this is greater than even John the Baptist because people were coming out to the wilderness to see John the Baptist. But Mark is saying Jesus' fame is even greater than that. They're coming from as far south as Idumea. They're coming from all over the place. And there's a huge happening in Jesus' life. And so people want to see what is Jesus doing? 
What is going on with his life? They want to be near him. They want to follow him. They, they want to see his every move. We live in a world of influencers now, right? Like we follow influencers, people who make a tweet and a post and it changes the, the whole culture. People were wanting to be around Jesus. He is the influencer now of, of the day. And so people are traveling to see Jesus. And the reality was that the group that's beginning to follow Jesus at this moment, they have no real desire to know Jesus. They're beginning to follow him because of what he can do for them. They want something from him. And the way that Mark writes it is that they are almost crushing Jesus, so much so that he tells his disciples to gather a boat so he can get out off of the shore and, and, or get off, off of the, the beach there and get out uh, close to them in, in the water so that he doesn't get crushed. Now, I, you've probably seen pictures like I've seen pictures of Jesus um, with the crowds, right? Um, you see Jesus with little lambs kind of around him, and he's got little children around him, and there's rainbows, and there's all kinds, like these flowery pictures uh, of Jesus. Like we grew up on the Jesus Storybook Bible and the pictures that we had hanging on the wall. Like we've seen, but what Mark is portraying of Jesus couldn't be further from, from this. The, the reality that Mark is, or the picture that he's painting is a... Uh, is the crowd that's around him is, is like a mob. The word that he uses there to describe the crowd is, is a mob that is able to crush. And the word for crush there means to push forward. It means to mob. It means to fall upon Jesus. It's like a Black Friday sales. Anybody done Black Friday sales the day after Thanksgiving? Right? Like people show up at like ridiculous hours in the morning. It used to be like six o'clock, but now it's like midnight. Like you, you, you finish eating turkey and then you just like go to the store. Like this is what we do. And then people are waiting at the door and people are like pushing them up in the door. Like you're waiting and like as soon as the door opens, people rush in and they will stampede you to get uh, an iPhone or they'll stampede you to get a 32-inch TV. It's ridiculous. But this is the picture that Mark is painting. It's a mob of people that are threatening to crush him. Why are they so furious though? Why, are they, why is it so ferocious? They've heard about what Jesus can do. And so there are sick people in the crowd. There's desperate people in the crowd. There's demon-possessed people in the crowd. And they're desperate for healing and they're desperate for help. They want to see if Jesus can do for them what they've heard that he can do for others. And the beautiful part of this is that Jesus doesn't bash them for being desperate. He doesn't bash them because they come to him with a need. He meets them there with compassion. And, and he deals with them for where, where, where they are. And so what we see from Jesus in verse 10 is that those who were coming and press, pressing against him, so much so that he had to get in a boat, that he was willing to heal them. And he was, the way that he says in verse 10, he was kind of healing a lot of people, but the image is that he's been healing people all, all day long. And because he hasn't stopped, there are more and more people who are coming and pressing against Jesus. There's even demon-possessed folks who are in the crowd. Look at verse 11. It says, Whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You're the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he, is, who he was. It might sound a little bit wild and crazy uh, to us um, now, but demon possession was common. It, it was very visible in, in, in the, uh, the New Testament. You see it happening all over the place in, in the Gospels, and you see it in the rest of the New Testament as well. It was very common. It's no less common now. Satan's still alive and active and moving in, in our world. 
He's roaming around like a lion ready to pounce on and to deceive and to destroy any opportunity that he gets. But the evil that was happening in the world and the evil that's happening in our culture, it shows up a little bit differently than it shows up then. You go outside of our country and our culture, you're going to see it happening just like this. And it's still happening like this. Um, you, you can go around and you can see there are still people who are demon-possessed. They, they've, um, they've tampered in the darkness. They've walked into some scenarios and they've opened themselves up to, to oppression and possession um, by the demonic world. But it also, in our culture, it shows up and in the evil that we see around us. It shows up when, when we call good what God has called evil. In a culture that says, you know what, They're, all the lines can be blurred. And there's no division uh, any longer. Anytime there are acts of injustice, anytime there's acts of, of cruelty, corruption, greed... And anytime we see these things, just think about the atrocities that we are aware of in our culture today. I mean, we don't, I don't even have to lay them out. Like in our minds, we know there, there are some sick and gross things that are happening. And we see those. We know that the evil one is at work, that there is oppression and possession happening in, in those places. And you know there's a blanket of oppression that's present when what God has called evil, a culture begins to call good. And Jesus, in this particular instance, he quiets the demon because he has an agenda. And he's not going to be sidelined by this evil spirit who is jumping out or these evil spirits who are trying to put Jesus out there before he's ready. And what he is saying, why Jesus tells him, like you would like, like tell everybody you're the son of God. He doesn't want to be put out there and be put on a demon or on the Satan's timetable. He is in complete control, and he is in complete authority in this moment, and he is showing this. What Marx wants us to see is that people were following Jesus for all kinds of different reasons, and you see Jesus start to draw this dividing line between the crowd and these people that he were going, he's going to call his disciples, and his disciples share a unique DNA about them that's not seen in the crowd at this time. And so again, the reader for us or the church then and the church now, we've got to ask the question, am I a crowdy? Am I somebody that's kind of hanging out in the crowd or am I a disciple? Am I here for the stuff or am I here because I want to know Jesus? And that's the picture that Mark is painting because there are two different ways people tend to come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus because of what he can do for you or you can come to Jesus for, for who he is. And Jesus can work with what we come to him for. We can come to Jesus for the wrong motives, and he can begin to change our heart once we start to come. But there, typically, people either come to Jesus for what he can do for them, or people come to Jesus because they recognize this is who he is. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of his grace, and I'm going to step into to that reality. Crowds want the stuff. Disciples want Jesus. And that brings up a question. Is it bad to want Jesus to heal people, to ask him to heal people? Is it, is it bad to pray for healing for others or to heal for yourself? Is it, is it, is it bad to, to pray for blessing in your life or to pray for blessing in somebody else's life? I would say no, right? It, it's not wrong to pray for miracles. It's not wrong to pray for blessings. Some of you, like I'm, I'm praying right now for people in my life to be healed. I'm praying for that and I'm expecting that God's going to do that. 
And some of you, like you're, you're praying for healing and you want God to come in and, you, and for your own life and you're praying for healing in other people's life. Like you were expecting that God is going to do that. But that's not why we follow Jesus. That's not why we come to Jesus. We don't come to him for the stuff. Crowds follow Jesus to get the stuff. Disciples follow Jesus to get Jesus. Remember, the question that Mark is asking and he's posing uh, and, and he has it for the church and for you and me. Do you share the DNA of a disciple or do you share the DNA of the crowd? And I quickly want to walk through three characteristics that Jesus points out here about what a disciple looks like. These distinct DNA characteristics of, of a disciple. See if you can catch him here uh, as we read verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. And apostles means representatives, sent out representatives, those who are going out to, to represent the one with authority that gave him a message to go out. They are to be mirrors and spokesmen um, for the one who sends them out. They are sent out ones. Um, they were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, we know of Simon. James and John, we've already read of them, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. We'll figure that out later. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. There, there are three distinct, unique characteristics, DNA characteristics that are hiding right there in plain sight for us to see what a disciple looks like, that he's going to call these disciples to. And, and I'm going I'm to put them up here on the screen, um, the, the first three, and then we're going to kind of dive into them. A disciple is somebody who will spend time with Jesus. A disciple is somebody who will tell others about Jesus. And a disciple is somebody who will fight evil and press against the darkness. Look at, look at the first one here. A disciple is somebody who's going to spend time with Jesus. That's the first DNA characteristic of, of a disciple, somebody who is with Jesus. That is the definition of a disciple, somebody who will be with him. And, and so Mark says he appointed the 12, he called them apostles, his representatives, and they were to accompany him. If you have the NIV or if you have the ESV version in your hands right now, um, they don't say accompany him. It says they were to be with him. They were to spend time with Jesus. Well, what's it look like to be with Jesus? Think about it. These disciples were men who had jobs. They were off kind of doing their thing. They had families. They had a community that they were a part of. They didn't have any idea of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. The way that discipleship worked during this time was that people would come alongside of a rabbi that they chose they, they say, that, rib, that, rib, that rabbi over there is teaching this, that rabbi is teaching this, that rabbi right there, he's teaching this, and I like what he's teaching, and I want to know more about that. And so they would begin to follow that rabbi wherever he went so they can learn what he was teaching them, right? But Jesus operated a little bit differently when he called his 12 apostles to come and follow him. He broke the norm. He didn't wait for people to follow him. He went after and said, I want you, 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 and you to come and follow me. And so he calls this huge crowd up onto the mountain, and he selects 12 from those who were up on uh, the mountain alongside of him to come and be with him. And so from this point, those 12 would go and they would travel with him. They would learn about his lifestyle. They would see how he had compassion for people. 
They would see how he taught people. They would eat with him. They would find places to sleep at night. They would go and they would walk through the garden and have conversations. They were simply there to be with him and to learn about what he taught. Some of the best parts that you read in the New Testament are these interactions that Jesus has with these disciples as they're walking along this, like, hey, tell me, like, what about that fig tree that didn't have any figs on it? Tell me about that. Tell, tell me about why you talk to the Pharisees like that. Tell me about the, the, the seeds that you were talking about in, in that parable that nobody understood. Like, tell us about that. And you see, like, Jesus kind of pull them along the side and say, hey, this is what I meant. And, and you, see, you see him lovingly care for these guys that he's called to be with him. They were with him, and they got to learn about who he was. Some of the best parts. Now, the disciples seem like they have a little bit of a leg up on us, don't they? Because they got to physically be with Jesus. We long for that. We look forward to the day where Jesus comes back and we get to physically be in his presence and see him face to face. But until that day, we have the next best thing. Like he has put his spirit inside of us, what Paul tells us in Galatians, but we also have the scriptures to help guide us, to help us to be with Jesus. The Bible is where we get to learn about who Jesus is. When we read the Bible, we get to see, man, like Jesus had compassion on people. Oh, oh, so I need to learn how to have compassion on people. We get to see Jesus show up in people's lives and, and heal. Oh, well, can we do that? Well, we can certainly pray for people. When we read that Jesus taught about being faithful to, in our relationships, and we read that he told people to forgive one another 70 times 7, which is like an endless amount of forgiveness. And then we see him on the cross, and we see him say, man, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see a lifestyle of forgiveness and say, oh, we're to be faithful in our relationships. We're, we're, we're to stand by our word, and we're, and we're not to um, get mad every time somebody might wrong us, that there is a level of forgiveness that we can offer people because we've been forgiven by, by Jesus himself. We begin to see this is how you live as a disciple when we see it in his word. We learn about the morals and the ethics of the kingdom. The scriptures are the primary place that we learn to be with Jesus. And so some of the, um, the best things we can do is to set aside time to be um, with Jesus, to have a quiet time. And it looks different from, everybody's quiet time looks different from, from everybody else. But the one thing that is consistent with being with Jesus is being in his, his word. And let me tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus and being in his word is not a regular part of your routine, I'm going to tell you, you're missing out. You are definitely missing out. And I'm not saying that to heap judgment on you and, and, and to bash you because there are days where I, I miss my scripture reading. There are days when just things get busy and it's just off the wall at my house and I miss that time. So I'm not, I'm not trying to bash you. I'm just saying as a brother in Christ who loves you and wants God's best for you, if we're not spending time in his word, man, we are missing out on the good stuff. So it's not a bash. It's an encouragement to meet God in his word because he wants you to know him and, and he wants you to be with him him and he wants to be with you. I was talking with a guy this week uh, on the phone and he's been, a, he's been a Christian for a long time and I was checking in on him and I was saying, hey man, how are you doing? Um, and he just really has a, he has a hard time being in God's word. He has a hard time connecting with Jesus there. He's like, man, I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's just, it feels like every time I read, like it just falls off. I, I never feel like I'm, I'm growing. 
And, and so we've kind of been walking along with him and, and talking with him a, a little bit and um, giving him some things to read and following up in that space. And I said, hey, how are you doing? And guys, he was so stinking excited when I talked to him. He was talking about a million miles an hour. He said, man, I've been praying that God would let me um, experience him in his word. I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would help me to soak it up like a sponge. Those were his words, to soak it up like a sponge. And I was so encouraged by that. And he said, do you know what? God is answering that prayer because I am soaking it up like a sponge. And he was telling me the things that he was learning. And I was excited to hear it. Jesus wants you to know him. Jesus wants you to be with him. And the best way that we have is in his, his word. And if that's a struggle for you, and I, and I know it is, it's a struggle for all of us at times. I'm, I'm going to encourage you, don't give up. He wants to be with you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would show up and, and help you to soak it up like, like, a, like a sponge. And if you feel like, man, I can't do this on my own, bring a friend along with you and say, hey, let's read together. Or if you have a spouse, ask your spouse, like, hey, spouse, can we do this together? Will you read alongside of me and, and help me understand? Or if you don't do it at the same time as somebody else, so attach yourself with somebody else and say, hey, I'm going to be reading Mark. Would you read Mark alongside of me? And then on Fridays or on Tuesdays, can we just like hop on the phone or can we grab coffee and let's just talk about, tell me about what you're learning. Let's see if well, I'm learning the same thing. Let's see if they match up together. And then let's just kind of grow on this journey together. If it's difficult, don't give up. Find a way to get into his word and to be encouraged with other people around you. Being with Jesus, that's the first prerequisite for what comes next. The second part here is a disciple is somebody who's willing to tell others about Jesus. Why is it important for followers of Jesus to tell others about him? Some of us will be like, man, I'm good. I'm gonna, I, I can spend time with Jesus, but I don't have to say anything to anybody, right? I mean, like, I'm not good with the words. I don't know what to say when I'm sitting with somebody and talking. I don't know enough. Like, I don't really have to open up my mouth and, and talk with anybody about Jesus, right? Well, here's the deal. To preach here, the word means to publicly <laughs> proclaim the gospel. And so if our words never come off of our lips to somebody, we, we're kind of missing the point here. But here's the encouragement. Public doesn't always mean to be in open space with a, a loud voice. It doesn't look like this. This, this is not the only thing that preaching is. Um, it's coming alongside of people who are willing to listen. It's sharing the story that you have with those who are around you. You, you guys, some of you might remember the, the, the story with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in, in Acts chapter 8. There's, a, there's an Ethiopian, he's kind of over in a chariot, and he's reading the scriptures, but he's not understanding it. And Philip is kind of just passing by, and he sees this guy reading the scriptures over here, um, apparently while he's at work. And so he goes over, and he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the guy's like, no, I don't. How can I know unless somebody comes along and tells me about this? And so Philip is like, hey, I'll tell you what I know. I don't know it all, but I'll tell you what I know. And so he reasoned with him for what he was reading and, and helped him to understand what it was that he was reading in the moment. Hey, can I tell you what I know? Here, here's the deal. We may not know a ton, but we know our story. We may not know a ton, but that's not the point. The, the reality is that we are to come alongside of people and, and share our story. It, it's one thirsty person who's found the place where their thirst gets quenched, telling others where they found the water. It's bringing other people along. Paul says it like this in, in Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anybody go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. How are people going to know if we never open up our mouth? How are people going to know about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus if you never tell them your story about what God has done in your life? Paul said, how beautiful it is when somebody shares the good news of the gospel with other people. See, there was a day when, when people would go to the synagogue, and that was the place where they could hear about God. They'd go to the temple, and that was the place that they could hear about God. But when Jesus called his 12 apostles to be with him, he was saying, there's something different here. When he was calling his apostles to go out and preach, he was saying, it's not going to be the building that people are going to go to to hear about the gospel, to hear about Jesus, to hear about the good news. It's going to be through your mouth. It's going to be through the apostles and then those who become disciples down the road. It's not going to be about a building. It's going to be about you and me sharing the good news of Jesus. The place that they're going to hear is from his disciples. Because we're living in a day and age when people need Jesus more than they ever have. And that doesn't mean that they, like, you know, no generation hasn't needed Jesus. We've all needed, but we live in a day and age where it just feels like, man, everything is, is falling apart. And the necessity of sharing the good news is probably higher than it's ever been. When we look around, we see, man, there are people who need Jesus, people who need hope. They need the, the hope of, of something different. They need Jesus, and they need to know what we know. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a challenge. Um, if this is hard, if, if preaching or telling somebody about Jesus is hard for you, if that's a concept that's brand new to you or something that you've, never, you've known of but you've just never engaged in, I, I, want, I, want to, I want you to start by just sharing your story with someone, just like one person. When I, when I was in uh, college or when I was uh, in seminary, I, one of the classes I was taking was called Spiritual Life. That was the class. And one of the assignments that we had to do is that we had to share our story with somebody else. And he's like, well, what's, what's my story? Your story is, this is who I was before Jesus, and this is who I am now after Jesus has come in. That's your story. And so we had to, uh, to, we had to actually we had to physically write out our story, and then we had to get somebody beside of us and say, hey, can I practice my story on you? Can I just, can I just share? Like, would you be willing to listen? And, and, and so that, that's my encouragement. I, wanna, I want to, like, you're like, well, what's my story? What, what was your life before Jesus? What's your life after Jesus? And then grab somebody to sit down with you and say, hey, can I share my story with you? Like, like you, like, you, know, you may not want to hear, you may, but, but would you be willing just to let me practice on you? So let me encourage you to share your story with one person, my life before Jesus, my life after uh, Jesus. And then verse 15, we get the last DNA characteristic here. It's someone who will fight evil and press against the darkness. And that sounds a little bit crazy, right? To go and cast out demons why would Jesus give this job description of a disciple? First of all, because they're sent representatives of Jesus. And Jesus has authority, and he's delegating that authority to his followers. There is evil in the world, and they're going to bump into that evil. And so they need to know that when they bump into that evil, that they can have the boldness to stand against it because they have the authority of Jesus with them. There is real evil in, in the world. And we're called to engage the evil. And the temptation for us is to hide from it or to act like maybe it doesn't exist 
because it's messy and because it's hard. Um, and it's not because we don't, we don't, don't see it and, and that we don't agree that it's, that it's bad and that it's evil. It's just that it just feels messy and we don't know what to do with it. Here's what Paul says. He says that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities. Uh, it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 12. And, and so the call to cast out demons isn't necessarily us putting our hands on top of somebody and calling demons out of people, although that may be, okay? The call here is for us to engage evil and not to run from it and to engage uh, in this spiritual fight. And as we bump into evil, we're supposed to not turn a blind eye to it. We're to engage against it. The battle's not against flesh and blood. And so the fight for us isn't a physical fight. This is a fight that we take to the Lord in prayer. This is a fight that we fight in, in petition. We engage the spiritual fight with the tools of the spirit that he's put inside of us. Paul talks about our spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6 too. And so we put that armor on. I, I knew a guy um, who did ministry in, in Guatemala in a really difficult place in the, in the city, in the slums there. Got to do ministry with him uh, for a week there and just absolutely loved it. But it was a very unique ministry, and I'll never forget one of the things he said. He said, we be, what we become aware of, we become responsible for. What we become aware of, we become responsible for. Now, we certainly can't take up every fight that we see, but we certainly have the tools and the authority in Christ to engage in the fight and not run uh, from it. The DNA of a disciple is to be with Jesus, to tell others about Jesus, and to engage in the fight against evil, not to turn a blind eye to it. You look at the list of the 12, and these are ordinary men and women. Nothing spectacular that stands out about them, but they were willing to follow Jesus. They were sinners who were transformed by the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus, and they were called out of the crowd to be a disciple. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has called you out of the crowd to be a disciple, and he has changed your DNA. He's given you spiritual DNA to be a disciple. And, and, and so how's your with him? He's called you to be with him. How's your with him? Be with him. How is your telling others about Jesus? Tell others about Jesus. Tell the story of God's grace in your, in your life. He's told us to engage the spiritual forces of evil that are in this world that are active, to engage it, not to hide from it. What often happens is what God makes us aware of, he won't let us forget. He keeps ringing around in our brain until we choose to engage in the spiritual realm through prayer and petition or to actually put some boots and feet uh, on the ground to help in, in that fight. He won't let us forget. And, and the truth is, this is not something that we do in our own authority. What Jesus shows again and again, this is the authority of Christ in us. He's put his spirit inside of us, so we can't just go out with our own willpower and figure out how to do this. He's put his spirit inside of us to do this work that he's called us to. Um, and so if you are a person who's in the crowd this morning, let me invite you to be a disciple. If you're a disciple, let me invite you to grow. If you are a disciple and you're growing, let me invite you to bring somebody else along with you to help them grow as a disciple. What Jesus calls us to be is not a part of the crowd, but to be a disciple. Would you pray with me?
God, thanks for your word. Thanks for your truth. If there are, are friends in a room that um, are on the fringes, that are outside in the crowd, um, that have never trusted Jesus, I pray that this morning might be a moment right now that they have a, a moment where they engage with you, where they pray and just say, Jesus, I want you. I like the stuff, but I want you. I want you in my life. I want to be a disciple. I pray that they would surrender their hearts right now to you. They're going to follow you, and their DNA is going to be changed, and you're going to put your spirit inside them, and you're going to live inside of them, and you are going to be pumping through their veins. Man, I pray that somebody would have the boldness right now to step out of the crowd to follow you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are disciples. I pray for us to grow and to mature and to walk with you and to be with you and to share our stories and to engage in evil. Give us your spirit to do that work, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.